This is the Friday, March 3rd, 2023 version of the market analysis segment from Market to Market. For traders, the last five days have been a balance between demand destruction in the U.S. and news of reduced harvest yields in South America. Prices spent most of the week in a downward trend, but some commodities managed to climb out of their hole by the final session. For the week, the nearby wheat contract fell 13 cents, while the May corn contract fell a dime. The soy complex followed wheat and corn lower, but managed to claw back to nearly even by the end of the week. The May soybean contract was flat, while the May meal contract added $1.30 per ton. May cotton lost 73 cents per hundredweight. And over in the dairy parlor, April Class 3 milk futures declined by 19 cents. The livestock market was mixed as April cattle added a nickel, April feeders put on 245 and the April lean hog contract lost $1.48. In the currency markets, the US dollar index dropped 62 ticks. April crude oil improved 336 per barrel. Comex gold went 4090 per ounce higher and the Goldman Sachs commodity index jumped more than 16 points to settle at 586.35. Well, joining us now is regular market analyst Elaine Cub. Great to see you, Elaine. Well, Thanks for being be here. here. Yeah, yeah I know you had to weather some storms to get here. Bouncing between blizzards, but here we are. Yeah, <laughs> here you are. Well, we start with wheat. So wheat had, um, it's, it's been in a slump. Wheat futures dropped to their lowest level since September of 2021, right? And kind of traded around that low this week. So is the low in or will it go even lower? Uh, Well, I couldn't say that it's never going to go lower, but it's certainly a reminder of what a global market it is because, I mean, that's obviously a a bearish trade based on better conditions in Russia or guesses about their um, willingness to keep things shipping on the Black Sea without disruption. But it's definitely not a reaction to numbers here domestically in the United States. Kansas was actually putting out some crop condition ratings finally uh, for for the spring going forward. And it's like 19% good to excellent ratings of their Mm -hmm. winter wheat as it's coming out of dormancy and 51% either poor or very poor. So all of the drought in the southwestern plains of the United States is very much still affecting the United States wheat prospects. But that's not what the market is trading. The market is trading things from all over the globe. So I I believe there is more volatility to come in wheat one way or another. And it could be lower. I mean, I I, I cannot promise you that that was a low. Okay. We'll have to wait and see. All right. So our next question is actually from Twitter. So this question comes from Kurt in Fort Atkinson, Atkinson, Iowa. He asks, with grain prices falling and interest rate climbing and no carry in the market, what incentive is there to continue to hold on to grain? Granted, it would have, have been better to sell 680 than 635 as the party over for the grain complex. I, I don't think the party's over. I don't think that if, if someone is, is very risk averse that they should necessarily listen to Elaine Cub saying this and like, you know, put all the, bet the farm on this. But I think um, there's legitimate scarcity for feed grains, for corn specifically, maybe less so for the oil seeds. But if you've got old crop corn sitting in a bin that you feel confident that you can keep in condition going into the spring and summer, all of the basis markets, anywhere there's a livestock industry and anywhere towards the southwest, shows that there is legitimate scarcity. End users really need to pay up for this grain because there's just not enough of it in the old crop market. However, when you start looking towards the end of 2023, once you get past this next harvest, eventually these commodity markets are 
always eventually going to fall apart and get back down towards the cost of production. But for now, if you've got, like I said, grain sitting in a bin, I don't think the party is necessarily over. Okay. And what about Brazil? Yeah, what about, yeah, exactly. Um, Brazil, that's another good reason to think that some of these markets will eventually start to fall down and why I'm not quite so bullish for the oil seeds is because Brazil does have this record large soybean crop that is being exported right now. So it is relieving some of that scarcity in the global soybean market. Um, but the global feed grains market still has a lot of scarcity. When you talk about that triple dip La Nina that has been affecting South America, Argentina more so than Brazil, that has been cutting the overall South American production more than the Brazilian record high um, yields and, and acreage has been contributing to it. Okay. Is this a good time to lock in feed costs then? Possibly. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not a bad idea because it's been so flat. We really have not had much volatility in any of these corn or soybean markets until this sell-off that we've seen just over the past week that you mentioned the prices that have dropped in the past week. The sell-off kind of happened for no apparent reason, just funds, I guess, taking some risk off the table as they're moving around into other assets. So yeah, that probably is an opportunity to take, you know, sort of a mystery in still scarce markets and, and lock something in. Okay. So talking about kind of, you mentioned soybeans, they have managed to sort of weather this storm a bit. There have been some conflicting reports coming out of South America about how much they have. Um, the USDA is saying one thing, the Brazilian government saying another. So where does it go from here? And private estimators. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it could be anything. But well, they, you know, gosh, the cliche is that a big crop gets bigger and a short crop gets shorter. And there is potential for the Brazilian soybean mark, or soybean crop to be bigger than 153 million metric tons, which is the last number that USDA came out with. There is a WASDE coming out next Wednesday that could um, probably come up with a number somewhere near that. But as I mentioned just before, it's the cuts to Argentina that are going to have a bigger impact on that global supply and demand table than sort of your shading one way or the other for, for Brazil. Okay. Why has the soybean market been able to weather this, this storm? Yeah, it's been really interesting, and particularly the new crop soybean market has not had as much of a sell-off as the corn or the old crop, uh, even soybeans, did. And it's been interesting, it's sort of been, since the USDA put out their their first initial acreage projections for 2023, and they were projecting soybean acreage to remain fairly flat going into 2023 at 87.5 million acres. So not a big boost there. And I think that's largely because of the the profitability projections, but they're so variable depending on where you're going to buy your fertilizer. Whether and that was earlier in the program talking about fertilizer prices ugh, triple of what they were in 2021, but 15% lower now than they were in the fall. So the the acreage battle between soybeans and corn is very much up in the air. But because the new crop soybean futures market has been able to hold on to things better than these other markets have, actually the new crop soybean to corn price ratio has improved since those acreage projections came out. It's 2.4 to 1. It's kind of climbing its way back towards normal. So that's something to, to continue to watch. When you actually get into planting season, uh, the soybean acreage could, could gain because it could look very profitable in, in a high fertilizer price environment. Moving on to cattle, they remain kind of the shining star, right, of the commodities with warmer weather coming up in the grilling season just around the bend, we hope. What is going to happen? Will those prices continue to go up? Well, you're absolutely right to point out that how it's driven by retail prices for the actual meat, for the beef. And the wholesale beef market has been improving. I mean, it's kind of plateaued here this, just this past week. But it's that improvement in the beef prices and you could also argue maybe lighter slaughter weights that have kept things kind of 
of hot for the live cattle market. Cash cattle traded this week at 163, 165. So, you know, it, it's been a bullish market and it continues to be a bullish market um, based on the actual prices for beef as people seasonally look towards grilling season. Okay, well, that takes us into feeders. Those have been high, too. How Will the bulls continue to have their way? Speaking of a hot yeah. market, yeah, I mean, contract highs uh, for the nearby contracts. But even when you start looking farther out for the calves that are being born today that are going to be marketed in October, November, you're talking about opportunities to lock in $200 or $220 on LRP contracts. And if you're talking about sale barn prices rather than futures prices, um, if you've got like a 600 weight, reasonably good quality calf in the northern part of the country, they were trading this week at 230. So, I mean, it's, it's, these are very high prices. They're not record high prices. No. It could go higher than that. I mean, we've seen it higher than that in 2014. And that was a time frame when, when live cattle prices were different than they are now. And I mean, everything has sort of changed about the profitability here. But there is room in this very scarce bullish market for feeders to, to go higher. Okay, how much higher? <laughs> I mean, in 2014, they traded to 245, I think. I, I don't have the number right on top of my head, but there's, there's room for them to continue churning higher. Okay. Hogs continue to just kind churn. of churn. Okay, churn. yeah. So what's going to happen there? <laughs> well, eventually, eventually they have to kind of churn higher too seasonally, and it just hasn't been happening. I think it's probably very frustrating to some futures traders in the lean hog market because there's just no momentum. There's just not being able to get any any uh, footing to, to make that seasonal move higher yet. And pork prices equally sort of lackluster. But at some point, when you start looking at a May contract at $93 and August, contract at $103, but negotiated hog prices are only $78 still. Like there has to be some reconciliation to that seasonality and start to move higher eventually. Okay. This is more of a general question. So the Fed meets again next week, and if they raise interest rates again, how does this all affect the just the, the farm economy, the ag economy? Yeah, the biggest worry, I think, from interest rates is typically people worrying about land prices because your pure math Anytime an interest rate goes up, an asset price should go down. But for land prices, I, I don't know that that's the case because you could also say that any asset is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. And there are a lot of people willing to get out there and bid for land these days. Investors, farmers, obviously. When you have commodity prices, grain prices being what they are today, I wouldn't necessarily worry about interest rates knocking things down. Um, I mean, you worry about operating notes and, and buying machinery and p paying higher interest rates and you don't want to go back to the 80s with double digit interest rates. All of that would be a concern. But as far as its actual uh, an immediate knock on effect to grain prices or land prices, uh, I think that the, the agriculture industry is fairly resilient or fairly immune to, to, to weird things like that. Although, of course, there could be volatility from the outside markets. Right. Okay, we've got a few seconds left, um, about 20 as a matter of fact. So fertilizer prices, the lowest in two years. Should we lock in? What's happening there? I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> full disclosure, I locked in fertilizer prices for my own farm back in September when they were 15% higher than they are now. But it was the right thing to do from a risk management standpoint. I think that was okay. But I think because we've seen natural gas prices come lower and a lot of those, those first worries that we had when, when fertilizer prices were tripling have sort of gone away, 
I believe there's potential for, for fertilizer prices to continue to move lower. Okay. All right. Thank you, Elaine. Thanks for joining us. We are going to put a pause on this analysis and continue our discussion. We've got more to talk about in our, our Market Plus segment. You can find those segments on our website of markettomarket.org. And for those of you watching us over traditional television or via the web, this is the second week of our annual pledge drive. If you believe in the service that you've trusted for nearly five decades, consider investing in your local public television station to keep programs like this one in production. We thank you for your support. Next week, we take a look back at the early days of no-till. Thanks so much for watching. We hope you have a great week.